All right, welcome to a super, super duper, very special Pro Football Doc Sports Injury Central podcast. Very special, not because of me, but our special guest, Hall of Famer. Can we say that yet? I mean, it's coming up. I mean, you're elected. Hall of Famer, Joe Thomas, first ballot Hall of Famer. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Doc. Can we say, if, has your signature changed yet, or do you have to wait till enshrinement day? How does that work? No, I think from the moment that it got introduced uh, as football Hall of Famer elect back in February around the Super Bowl, viewer sign at HOF 2023 right away, because it's a little bit like being engaged, only this one is uh, 100% going down the aisle. There's no chance this one gets broke <laughs> off. More than engagement. Now, let me ask you this question. Does someone like? Is it just known among athletes, or is there someone a part of the Hall of Fame thing that now you sign? You have to sign your name, HOF twenty twenty three. How does that work? So typically, actually, most of the Hall of Famers have autograph uh, memorabilia agents, marketing agents, uh, and they're the ones that kind of encourage it because you actually get paid a little bit extra when you sign Hall of Famer. So uh, it's a win win for everybody. Gotcha. Well, look. No one ever instructed me to put MD behind my name and my signature. <laughs> and and quite honestly, I never do it. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the official time was. It changed. But I, I can't tell you the story, Joe. I, I will not mention the name of the guy. He's actually in the Hall of Fame now. Mm. But he wasn't in the Hall of Fame yet. And there were a couple elections. There was a charity event. This was a while back. And it was like athletes that were – waiters or something and and then they would sell autographs for the charity right all for mm -hmm. the charity so he came around saying i'm so i said look i'll buy an autograph from you from you on this ball but i want you to sign it hof and he and he wasn't hof yet or elected he was still <laughs> and he actually signed it and uh yeah. it was all good natured and i was there i would never throw him under the bus but that would be a huge no-no like if we would have shown <laughs> that publicly he probably would never have been elected right i mean that's not something yeah. you, you want to do but we were just yeah, having fun a faux so. pas. <laughs> yeah. yeah definite faux pas you don't want to do that you don't want to let the electors and and the fans think that you already expect to be a hall of famer because everybody loves when the players are surprised which 99% of the time they do a great job surprising the players. And I, and I think that's one of the things that makes the hall of fame so special. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, like I said, that's meaningless. I was just joking around on the signature, <laughs> but in terms of, you know, one thing I would say is that, you know, some people, I, I believe this, and I definitely want to talk about your streak, right? Everyone asks about your streak, but I really believe the streak has nothing to do with the hall of fame. I mean, 10 first 10 seasons as a pro bowler i mean that's a feat that's merlin olson mel renfro barry sanders and the original lt lawrence taylor right that's rarefied air right there the streak is kind of a fun afterthought really <laughs> agree with that yeah i think that once i made my 10th straight pro bowl and got into the likes of the people that you just mentioned, I, I thought to myself, you know what? I'm not signing HUF on my name just yet, but I feel like my chances are pretty strong when you're hearing the name Mel Renfro and Barry Sanders and Lawrence Taylor amongst the only like six guys that have ever been able to do that in the NFL history. So I felt pretty strong about that. And, and then getting over 10,000 straight snaps, ending up at 10,363, I felt like 
when Tony Grozy from the Cleveland Plain Dealer um, or Cleveland.com now and Mary Kay Cabot were presenting my case on behalf of myself to all the other writers, I felt like that was probably the last thing that they said before the voting happened so that there wasn't going to be any long drawn out discussions about should I make it or should I not? Well, I think there was no question that you were going to make it in my mind. The only question is sometimes they're a little particular about anointing first ballot Hall of Famers, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And you cleared that hurdle too. So that's pretty special, I would think, as uh, as well, first, first ballot there. Um, so another very cool thing, I think, is who you selected for your presenters. Mm -hmm. Have there been multiple presenters before i'm not fully aware i've been to a couple of hall of fames and these usually it's just one person you have your wife and your four kids the whole family that's right. presenting that's pretty cool yeah it's going to be really special for me because they are obviously such a huge part of my journey through the nfl to the hall of fame but a few years ago they changed the presenter from doing a live speech to doing a video recorded message and that was what really opened the door for me to say hey I love my wife. I would love her to be my presenter, but I want my kids to be there too. And so when you can do a little video, they came to the house, they, they did a video of all the kids and then Annie, and then they're going to cut it up to make it a short video presentation. <laughs> and I think it's going to be really special having all of them up on stage with me in that moment we unveil the bust. I think that's really cool. And obviously the video does something too, right? It controls the time of the, exactly. of the presenter. It uh, doesn't control your time, but it controls yes. the time of the presenter. And so your youngest is name is? Reese, and she's four. That's what I thought. So she's never seen you play. Never. No, she was actually born after I retired. So um, it's cool being elected to the hall of fame because there's going to be a lot of really really cool stuff around the enshrinement not only the hall of fame game but the gold jacket dinner and then the enshrinement and my party and she's going to be making memories of me as a football player that she does not have they don't exist other than what she sees on tv and reruns and things like that yeah for me like you know my kids they're so i mean i i'm a c-list whatever not a d-list <laughs> uh quote whatever but you know some media opportunities they could care less about anything you know yeah. this news or comes on this that they could care less but they got really excited because my kids are boy girl 10 10 and 6 right so they got really excited when one time i popped up on a youtube channel feed that's when they, they're like oh you're dad hey yeah, you're yeah. big time youtube right i yeah. mean that's their judge of of what it is that's right so i guess i got to get on like some tiktok videos or something and then my kids will find me rather interesting and until then i'm just i'm dirt i'm just the guy that takes away their nintendo switches when the time limit is up and and dad jokes that's right yeah that's right dad that's not funny but i'm like well your jokes aren't funny either so kid jokes are just as bad as dad jokes <laughs> yeah so uh we do have a tiktok channel for sports injury central i don't know i don't do anything on tiktok though it's it's uh that's all i can do to stay up with this so let's talk uh, oh and the other good thing about the speech thing your last i don't know what time that's going to be but at least your four-year-old will be awake in the video. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so the cool thing is the Hall of Fame will be during the day now instead of they used to do it at night. Um, and they've done a good job of being really uh, very much 
certain about shortening the speeches so that you have to give them the speech. You have to make sure it's, you know, under that seven minute mark or so. Um, so hopefully the kids are still alert. I, I think they're going to be awake, but hopefully they're still alert uh, as the last person that's going to be enshrined. Since you're the last one, you can go over seven minutes. They can't stop you. There you go. Yeah, can't stop me now. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. So let's talk about your streak. I think what's incredible about the streak, look, take nothing away from Cal Ripken, right? Cal Ripken Jr. That was amazing. That was, you know, uh, uh, 16 years, I guess, and in, in whatever. And But the difference, I always say, is obviously – One's baseball and football, right? One is football is not a contact sport. It's a collision sport, right? But to me, it was how the heck did you go 10 plus years? Not, not missing games or whatever, not missing a snap. <laughs> that boggles my mind that you didn't miss a snap. And at the time I was saying it on Twitter, whether, you know, Look, whether you got a cut on your arm for a second or needed something retaped, but we're going to go right back into the game or or who knows, uh, had to had to go to the bathroom or something. I mean, you know, who knows uh, an equipment issue. Right. I mean, something. Uh, were there times that you were close or what were close calls or I, I can't imagine ten thousand three hundred sixty three consecutive snaps. This is not games. You know, uh, Cal Ripken went, I think it was June of 82 to September of 87, playing every inning. But the every inning streak for him was only five, well, only, but five years. Mm. Your every snap streak was <laughs> 10 plus years. How is that? And were there any close calls? Yeah, it, it's crazy thinking back and reflecting on like how many series of fortunate events had to happen in order for me to get to year 10, year 11, where I was still going. Um, and like you mentioned, like obviously avoiding the injury is the big thing, but there's so many goofy little things that happen throughout the course of a game. Like you get your foot stepped on and your shoelace breaks. Well, now your shoe's not functioning for a player too. So you got to go to the sideline, get your backup shoe, get a trainer to tape, tape it up and tie it for you because usually your hands are taped up like Ninja Turtles. So you can't uh, have the dexterity in your fingers to be able to put a, your own shoe back on or, you know, your chin strap snaps or your face mask gets bent. Like there's so many things that could possibly have happened that I got really fortunate, but I think the luckiest I was, was I want to say 2012, um, the last game of the season, we're playing against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I had some back spasms, so I was trying to stretch my piriformis. So I threw my left ankle up over my knee, and I was really using a lot of force to try to stretch my piriformis and try to keep my back loose. And apparently I was pressing too hard because I got a grade two LCL tear <sighs> by just pressing down on the inside of my knee. Um, but, like, you know, like I came to the side, I talked to the doctors, they said, well, how can you function? I said, well, I just went through that series and it didn't feel great, but I was able to survive. Like I felt stable and they had me do a few drills in the sideline and then they kind of left it up to me. Like, hey, do you think you can go? If so, go. If not, like then we'll take you inside. We'll take x-rays and try to figure it out. And I, at that point, like the streak wasn't in my mind, but I was just like, hey, it's the last game of the season. I might as well be out here for my teammates. Like 
I know that I'm the best left tackle we got on this roster. So I need to be out here if I can, even at 70, 80%. So I finished that game, got an MRI the next day, and whoop, lo and behold, you got a grade two LCL tear, which would have been four, five, six weeks had it or been more, yeah. something that happened during the season uh, instead of the last game of the year. And it was your left knee. Left knee. Yeah, which might have made it a tiny bit easier, right? Outside leg for you, right? Instead of the inside but uh, but still that's pretty fantastic i don't know what's more fantastic yeah. that you played through a grade two lcl or that it was self-inflicted literally <laughs> yeah, yeah well that's, that's what the doc crazy. said the doc goes well you nobody's strong enough to tear their own lcl like you need to have the force of lots of humans like falling on it or something and i'm like no i was just stretching and he's like it's never happened that it's impossible and i'm like well i don't know i heard a pretty loud pop well here's what's crazy is look I'll buy that you have the strength to do it. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I'll buy that part, but the strength to do it to yourself. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it starts to hurt before it pops. Right. I mean, like the strength right. to just do it yourself. I mean, that's, that's to me, what's more incredible about that, uh, whole situation you yeah know. definitely an iq test and i failed that part but i i passed the strength test but it also shows you how much my back was hurting and how i was willing to do anything to get relief from those back spasms that i didn't even notice i was tearing my own lcl how about practices did you miss any practices or were you practicing all the way through and everything yeah i actually practiced pretty much every day when i was younger but then you know, the injuries just started to pile up towards the second half of my career. I, I mentioned some back spasms that I had around year five or six because I had a, um, a couple discs that were out and that would kind of get irritated. Um, so I would have to take long stretches of you know weeks of practice where I wouldn't practice and I would just play on Sundays. And then I had a bunch of knee scopes and um, some degenerative uh, joint disease in my knees and my, my hip. Um, so towards the end of my career, I actually hardly practiced. I would go into the training room, uh, and get treatment during practice because I, I couldn't really stand on my knee, um, because of where the, the holes in my cartilage were that were really aggravated by standing or even just kneeling. Um, and then I would go and swim and that's how I got my cardio. That's how I got myself ready for game day. Interesting. Interesting. So that's one of the things that I want to bring up with you, like, the NBA gets crushed for load management, mm -hmm. okay? And I get it, right? And part of the reason is the regular season doesn't really matter like the NFL, right? It's yeah. 82 games, and, the, and it just, it's just not the same, right? I mean, but I try and explain to people that load management is in every sport, including the NFL. Whether it's the load management of a Joe Thomas Ironman missing practice to be able to make the game or in other cases, you know, someone with red zone targets or splitting series and other things, load management happens in the NFL too. It's just not as egregious as the NBA. Cause you go, Oh, well I bought this ticket to watch Steph Curry. It's the only time he's mm -hmm. in town and he ends up sitting the game. Right. And so I get where the NBA gets grief for it, but Load management is a reality in every sport. You got to get through, right? That's uh, yeah. I'm yeah, that, sure. yeah. I, I agree. That's the thing in basketball, right? Is they play almost every night. You know, it's not baseball where they do play every night, but in basketball, it's not like they can rest for a week and come back the next Sunday and play. Like if if you take a night off to try to rest up after a double header or a two, three, four nights in a row, like 
the paying fan that showed up to watch Steph Curry or LeBron James is going to be upset. However, like they don't really have any other time to get that rest when they need it. And unless the regular season was shorter where every game really mattered, it's a lot better to have LeBron James feeling good in the playoffs than it is for some meaningless road game during the regular season. So as much as fans get upset about it, and I understand like they paid to watch the star and they showed up for that, but like, I can't expect the star or the team to say, yeah, it's more important for us to just have them out there every night than it is to try to win a championship. And I think the difference is now pro sports is being played on such a high level because of the constant evolution of the game that it's a lot harder to be at your absolute best every single play, every single game, every single night. And it's I think it's a lot more difficult than it was maybe 30 years ago because when you look at the nutrition, you look at the training, um, you look at the way that these guys are getting themselves in peak physical and mental condition, like the game's a lot harder to be absolutely at your best every single night than it used to be. And so it was probably a lot easier when, you know, Jordan played in the eighties and nineties to be a little bit less than your best. And nobody really notices, right? Because your difference in how good you are versus all of your opponents is so great that nobody really notices you're going to drop 28 instead of 34. And you're technically, you know, taking your foot off the gas a little bit, whereas you can't really do that in today's professional sports. Well, you bring up a lot of good points there. And the first one that you just, or the last one you just made there, like people see right now that's preseason, right? Or it's preseason starting. And and people see a couple of videos of Brees Hall running in practice and like, oh, he's great. He's back. <laughs> like that's not even close to like <laughs> the level that, of how special right. these guys are, right? He's doing great and he's getting there. But you look at that, it's like, it's, you know, you know, I see offensive linemen take a, a half or three quarter speed rep oh he's ready to go no the game is so difficult (laughs) there uh so that's one thing the other thing that you touched on you're right i can't do the math for 17 games so let's go back to 16 games (laughs) 16 games in the nfl 82 in the nba or 81 in the nba 80 162 in major league baseball each nfl game is worth five nba games and 10 major league baseball games so I'm in San Diego and everyone's distraught because the Padres lost three in a row. They didn't get swept. They were they won one game <laughs> against the Phillies. But imagine, here's the closest thing I could say. I remember it was in 1999 and the Chargers were terrible. Hmm. We were 0-13, okay? We were terrible. And hmm. in week 14, we beat Kansas City. And this is well before their current run, but we beat hmm. Kansas City. And we felt pretty good about ourselves in the building that week because that was like our having a 10-game baseball winning streak. If you <laughs> lose three straight ser- – get swept three straight series in a row in baseball, you're having clubhouse meetings. You lose <laughs> 20 – you get swept six straight series in baseball, and the manager's fired, right? <laughs> but in the NFL, the vast majority of teams will undergo a two-game losing streak mm-hmm. in a given season, even if you're a winning team. So it's just so different, and the and this is why injections to play and so forth. Did you take injections to play? Uh, at times, like my last season in the NFL, I was mentioning that I had a really bad left knee, a lot of degenerative joint disease, um, arthritis. That and LCL so I came would, back to get you. 
<laughs> yeah, right. I wish. No, I'd, I'd actually <laughs> tore meniscus when I was a sophomore in college okay. on the lateral side in that knee. And then just because of the way a left tackle kind of tucks up that left leg and left knee underneath himself and then kind of slams that knee into the ground or that foot into the ground over and over again, it just the meniscus tear from when I was 19 and then that beating that that took on that little spot um, on my knee, just by the time I was 34, like there was just not much left and it was really irritating the joint. And so on Mondays I would get it drained. Um, and then on Friday I would get like a uflexa or like the hyaluronic acid shot. And then once every couple months, I can't remember, I would get a cortisone shot in there. Um, and then oral pain medicine to try to help um, get yourself ready and be able to go out there on Sunday. But that was one of the things that actually made retirement easy when I made that decision was that process of getting yourself ready for every Sunday, not the football stuff, not like practices and the meetings, but just physically going through the draining the knee and the injections and not being able to walk and having to basically scoot on your butt to get down the stairs and like dragging your leg down the hall for 16 weeks and then also questioning in your mind, like, is this the week it's not going to respond? Like, is our uh, process that we have getting ready for game day just not going to work? And then what's going to happen? Then I'm going to have to just not even go out there because I can't do it. So I think that really mentally more than anything sort of started catching up to me by year 11 to the point where I was almost relieved that I didn't have to go through that anymore uh, because of how miserable it had become in my head. Yeah, no question. So in my time, there was lots of, and it was a different era too, lots of pain-killing injections. We actually didn't reuse very many oral pain pills. Sure, toward all things like that. But narcotics, people, like this whole NFL team doctors drug people up to play like narcotics and Vicodin. and Bref That wasn't my experience because it slows your reaction time. You can't play on that mm -hmm. stuff, the speed and precision game that you play. Local numbing injections were more of what we did than mm -hmm. than that but with your knee it's that's hard to do uh, that's yeah. hard to do yeah well, that it, it was tricky but but to your point like you said like i would take um 15 milligrams of uh vicodin during the game so i'd take 10 mm. during warm-ups and then i'd take five at halftime but i i i was having more pain than that would even block out and sure. so i tried to take a little bit more one game and i found myself just getting sleepy on the sideline to the point where i was on the bench like i was feeling really tired and not not physically but just like i wanted to fall asleep and then that's kind of when i realized like there's a limit to the effectiveness of this stuff where like if it's not knocking off the pain now you're significantly hampering your physical abilities because it does slow reaction time. It does make you sleepy. Um, and there is a huge diminishing amount of return when you start taking those oral pain meds. Well, um, yeah, you mentioned your knee and I want to tie two subjects and a question together. I've uh, look, I've often told players, players have set, come to me and said, doc, what's the best thing for my knee? And you described your knee in the, in the wear and tear and the arthritis. My answer would be lose a hundred pounds and quit playing football. And of course they would come back and say, no, 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 I can't do that. I meant with playing football. Right. And so is your weight, look, very few line, uh, players, especially offensive linemen in my experience, when they're done weigh the same, they either lose because they were always trying to put weight on or they're trying to lose for their health or they gain because they don't have the uh, exercise anymore to burn it. 
Uh, where did you fall on this with your weight loss? You're, and you've done great. You look great. Thanks. Yeah, I was always the type of player that needed a game weight to be able to play on the offensive line. And, you know, of course, it gets easier as you get a little bit older. But when I went from 305, 300 when I retired to 280, 275, like that first 20, 25 pounds was easy. And my wife laughs and I'm like, well, hey, instead of having three sandwiches for lunch, I had two and a bag of <laughs> chips and I lost 25 pounds. What a diet. It was like the, the Subway diet. Yeah, I ate three Subway sandwiches and a bag of Doritos and I lost 30 pounds. Well, your body, just because of how huge it was, was probably burning 5,000 calories a day just at rest without even working out. But the uh, the second 25 or so that I lost, I had to be a little bit more targeted. I really had to pay attention and be mindful of what I was eating, not just the volume, but actually the, the type of macronutrients that was going in my body. But I was highly motivated because our team doctor said the same thing that you just said. He said, if you want your knee to feel better now and in the future, stop playing football, obviously. Okay, check. And lose weight because one pound on your body is like three pounds going through your joints. And so cleaning up my diet, because I was eating terrible things to keep the weight on, like ice cream and Girl Scout cookies every night, all the carbs and sugar you could possibly imagine, because I needed the the calories and I needed that energy to be able to go out and play at 300 plus pounds. Um, but cleaning up the diet made a big impact on just general inflammation in my body. But then losing that weight made it so much more comfortable living at 250 than it was at 300 pounds. Yeah, and, and I'd say every pound of weight translates to at least five to 10 pounds of force across your joints and more when you're running and jumping and doing other things. So there's no question that's a that's a big effect. So are you still a Browns fan or you root for the Browns or you're just attached? I know you're sort of with the team and so forth. How, and how are the Browns going to do this year? What's your thought? Yeah, I'm a big Browns fan. I'm raising my kids as Browns fans. Three of my kids were born in Cleveland. Um, one was born in Wisconsin, but... Yeah, I, I still love the team. And, you know, for a guy that played there 11 years and never made the playoffs, you could easily say, oh, how can you still be a fan? But I fell so much in love with the organization, with the people that work there, um, with the city, the fans. Like, it just became a part of who I was, a big part of my identity. And so I'm a huge Browns fan. And I think they're going to have a good season. I think last year was tough. They've got a lot of talent. Um, they struggled a little bit on defense. Deshaun Watson was suspended two-thirds of the season and so he came back and he was rusty and he, he didn't look good within that offense because he just didn't have the experience but I think having a full season a full offseason under his belt working with Kevin Stefanski who's the head coach and then they brought in Jim Schwartz to be the defensive coordinator a very well-known and respected defensive coordinator throughout the NFL I think he's going to really get the most out of Miles Garrett they re-signed or they, they signed Dalvin Thomason who's a terrific pass and run defender at the defensive tackle position um, from the Minnesota Vikings. So I, I think this is probably the most talented roster that they've had uh, in a very long time. And I think they have the right coaching staff in place to get the most out of those players. Well, that's great news for me because in my Scott Fishbowl 13 draft still going on the Fanta division. <laughs> and in the first round, I drafted 10th. I had I couldn't pass up on CMC, right? And that's mm. first round. And then on the quick turn in the second round, you need a quarterback, and they were mostly fished out. So I went with Deshaun Watson, nice. counting on a on a bounce back season. So nice. ho hopefully that will be the case. Yes, sir. So Joe, you're everywhere, NFL Network, other things. Anything else you want to talk about or plug anything? You don't care. Of course, you've got a busy two weeks coming up. 
And by the way, yes. I keep check, checking my mail every day, Joe. You know, I don't yes. see the invite yet. It'll be there any day now. Okay, yeah. hold your breath. Yeah, I got hold it. Hold your breath. So, <laughs> yeah, two weeks. Uh, geez, almost yeah, two and a half weeks will be the enshrinement in Canton. That's obviously a big one. And um, me personally, it's been a lot of fun getting involved in a lot of different uh, entities in retirement, food, football, family. Um, those are all things that I have a lot of passion. So I've got a bunch of youth performance gyms in Wisconsin called sports advantage where we train grade schoolers, middle schoolers, and high schoolers, just how to move, how to be better athletes. It's not sports specific. Mm -hmm. It's just keeping them injury free and creating a better athlete. Um, I've got a cattle ranch in Wisconsin where we mm -hmm. sell hall of fame beef, the finest beef that money can buy. Um, mission barbecues, a bunch of barbecue restaurants that I've got throughout oh, wow. the Midwest and, uh, Eastern United States. So a lot, a lot of good stuff going on over here. Well, the holiday invite doesn't come. I like barbecue. No, just kidding. All, all, <laughs> all good there. All good stuff. And, and it sounds like you got more going on in life now than, than even when you're playing and, and congrats mm -hmm. to you. You're, you're obviously a guy who'd be in from the first time I met you very successful in anything you do in life and not just football, right? Putting your mind to it and uh, and you're showing that. Congratulations on being the first ballot Hall of Famer and taking time out of your busy schedule. Uh, you you know what the Hall, have you ever been to the Hall of Fame? You've never, because you've, you've, you've always been in mm -hmm. training camps. So you've never been. I think you're fine. It's yeah. really special. I'm sure you've seen the schedule and everything, not just the, the enshrinement, but you know, I think the dinner is cool where you march through all the different rooms or people, mm -hmm. right? In the in the intro and in the jacket ceremony. All of it's really cool. Mm -hmm. I, I hope you and your family really uh, enjoy that. Uh, and thank you for taking the time to come on here with us. Always wanted to chat with you. You know, we're at injury website, sports injury central, SICscore.com. And here's the the goat of anti-injury staying away <laughs> from it until that unfortunate triceps tear. But uh, congratulations again, and thank you for joining us. Awesome. I appreciate you having me on, Doc. All right. Thanks, buddy. All right. We'll take a quick break, and then we'll come back with the second half of the Pro Football Doc podcast. All right. Welcome back to part two of the Pro Football Doc Sports Injury Central podcast, or as we should call this, the HOF 2023 podcast. Uh, Joe Thomas. Nice guy. Um we just, I'm not even sure where I met Joe. It might have been at a Super Bowl, something sort of changed. Just a nice guy, as you can tell. Very easygoing, the the whole deal. And uh, uh, that's crazy that he tore his own LCL. I mean, I've always said I'd be a very, very poor heroin junkie. I don't think I could stick myself <laughs> to do that, to push that hard. Yeah. That's, I, like I said, I think he's strong enough, but then he, you start to feel pain and don't you stop? I mean, he just kept pushing. That's, that's pretty well, incredible. You're no stranger to back pain too. So he's making the point that he's trying to get to get rid of that back, that back spasm. So I guess, but I, I've never had my back hurt enough to tear my knee. So. Uh, <laughs> well, I haven't either. I've had three back surgeries and an neck surgery right. and I've not come close to tearing up my knee myself, except sometimes, you know, uh, bending over to pick up a baseball recently, I might have torn something. <laughs> <laughs> it's always uh, it's always when you're not trying not trying to do anything athletic that your knees are most at risk. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you made a good point though. I don't I don't think we talk enough about the uh, the day to day stuff that the players go through to get in the physical shape to go out there and play every week. I mean, I know it gets gets gamified for fantasy sports, like oh come on play through that ankle, but 
just hearing what he had to do every every week in that routine to get play through his uh his knee arthritis and stuff. I mean, and that's just the O line. You don't think about O line, you think about position players. So no question. Everyone everyone all the field. When I first I don't know if I ever told this story on the podcast, but when I first uh was with the Chargers, I spent time in Chicago and Minnesota, but first with the Chargers, Natron Means was the was the man, the running back. And uh I was shocked. On Mondays, the guy could barely walk. I mean, and then come next Sunday, we'd ready to go. And that's when I started thinking about things like, you know, you say, oh, this guy's a big running back. Okay. But here's the, you got to understand, let's say a running back gets 20 carries. How many hits does he take? You know, 16, 18. Yeah, 12, there's, there's 12 to 15, a, I was saying, but yeah, 12, that's, 15, but, that's but, generous. <laughs> but on some plays, more than one person. Right. And here's the key. Let's just say it's 20 plays and 16 times you're hit by eight different players. So you're even if you're delivering blows instead of receiving blows, it's still contact. So forget the blocking side, but there's contact, big time contact, 16 plays from eight different people. You get what I mean? So there's where it, it, you know, and uh, of course, Joe Thomas is is the is the defender there because he's sitting back. Typically, that's why they like to run block. They can be the aggressor. But one thing I forgot to mention during the interview is, I don't think it's an accident that Joe Thomas wasn't injured. Sure, there was a mindset, and he was going to play, and the whole deal. And I do think it's amazing that a chim strap didn't break or something. That that right. that happens all the time, right? Just one play. So the number of plays are amazing. I've often said it here, the better player gets hurt more often, and this goes into cluster injuries. The offensive lineman that's holding on for dear life with his legs and feet planted get rolled up on. The dominant ones who keep their feet moving escape that type of injury. And so this is where you get into the cluster injuries, changing positions, but players that aren't quote starters they, they may get the job done but sometimes you're hanging on think of it this way if you're in a tug of war i get it's different motion than football what's the winning team doing churning its legs what's the losing team doing hunkering down into the sand <laughs> don't go don't go anywhere right that's the same thing and so that's also has to do with his athleticism is what allowed him to stay injury free to some extent as well because he was the dominant player and he was better so he could keep his feet moving etc but i did stay away from telling a story about um because i didn't want to like what he did was amazing but we did have uh in my time should i say the name yeah he doesn't care i probably have <laughs> talked about it he's a friend he comes over all the time von parker right tackle for the chargers back in the day uh and washington and whatever but the game against the rams he tore his triceps finished the series comes off the sideline like take a look he's like he's got nothing he can't push like oh you tore your triceps he's like well what do we do i said do you think he can play he goes i finished the series i don't know i mean so we put a brace on him with a 
locked hinge so the elbow would stay stiff so he could you know use the hole but obviously not the same thing he finished the game then after the game I said look you need surgery it's still fairly early season and this is back in the day there was no six game il six game uh uh injured list right you know injured reserve etc and then come back it was either out for the season or not and he's like i don't want to be done for the season but the team's like we can't carry the guy for you know whatever and so we came up with a plan and we said you got to have surgery you can't wait till the end of the season so let's do the surgery and when you feel good we'll put you back into the same brace um, and so you you're a low risk of harming it but you're weaker you can't really push but you know play the same way so he had surgery missed a game and came back in two weeks and the conversation was the gm was fine with the idea our head coach was fine with the idea and i remember our o-line coach said are you Nothing kidding me uh, i can't have a guy out there playing with one arm with, with the chicken wing kind of chicken wing <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, and so i was like yeah it's your choice i'm just telling you what can happen here right and uh he goes so i said how did he play this last game he goes he graded out pretty well i said did you know the injury happened in the first quarter and he was like oh <laughs> <laughs> so he did come back and and we did do that but in all fairness, Vaughn said to me, I said, what would happen if someone knew about this? He goes, I'd be toast. There's no way I could hold a bull rush off with that arm or hand. But, you know, you just veteran guile, his wideness split a little bit, invited him to go inside. And, and his first step would be a little more to the outside to try and be more protective. And, you know, it, it's sort of invite the guy to to come the other way and and you know uh, veteran guile he, he he made it through but it still would have broken uh joe thomas's streak right, right. i mean because he did miss a little bit of time there but um anyways uh, i thought i still think it's fantastic as much as cal ripkin jr right i mean one little equipment issue uh cleat a shoelace uh this that the other anything uh, there was a couple of seasons where Ripken, he didn't play nine innings every game it was all he get lifted for a pinch hitter in the eighth or whatever it was or yeah. it's still great yeah. because baseball's again and again and daily day in day out kind right. of thing and if you want to say day in day out cal ripkin quote has joe thomas speak because he admits that he didn't practice all that much depending on what was happening during right. the later part of his career but but Cal Ripken was, I think, five in the change years of every inning. And then, uh, not that he took time off, but like, you know, the the every play streak yeah. is, is, every snap is is pretty crazy to I'm, me. I'm trying to think of position group-wise, if there's a group that's more more uh, likely to play through an issue. Like, seems like O-line, there's usually a big drop-off between like, oh, we, we don't really have a guy who can play left tackle. We have a right tackle who can, who can swing and fill in every bit, but... If you could play through, we'd want you to play through versus running back. There's usually contingency plan or wide receiver. You can slot a guy in. Well, there's no question that, you know, D-line always has a rotation. And there's pass rush specialists and run stop specialists. And just a general rotation, a lot of teams do, you know, first string, second string, or two, two double rotations. You don't see that in the offensive line, right? I mean, there are no three down running backs. Well, not very many three down running backs anymore. And even wide receivers don't necessarily play every snap. And even linebackers don't always. Safeties mostly do. But even then, yeah, it's very dependent. But O-line, it's still you play every down and it's your unit. And the other thing about that is 
depending on the roster manipulation, it's not uncommon to go seven deep for your active roster. So your two injuries down to scraping the bottom of the barrel and a third one, and it's and it's the tight end or whoever is right. coming in, right? I mean, it's just the way that it is. So that's your right. You don't have a true backup at every spot. You've got one guy covering two or three spots and the other guy covering the other two or three. Sometimes it's a luxury to have eight offensive linemen up. Right. Well, going through our preseason injury preview, uh, coming and familiarizing with where guys are out, are now in the offseason stuff. I know it's still still a couple of balls to drop, but uh, seeing Bud Dupree on the Falcons as listed as their starting outside linebacker, I was like, that, there's no way he's starting outside linebacker every snap with that knee and his, his advanced age at this point. So there's got to be some kind of rotation going on. I don't know. And we'll see. We'll take another look at, at Bud Dupree and, and, you know, offensive line, defensive rotations. I simply panned Bud Dupree when he got signed with the Titans because he was coming off an ACL and got right. the contract. He actually rounded out. I mean, yes, he's got some, I think, to Jeremy knees, but he played late season pretty well, I think. So we'll see. But you're right. He probably isn't in every down at this point in time. But I think he should have more of a bounce back season than than he had last season because he's going to be healthier for a bulk of it, at least you know, not in his first time in Tennessee there where he missed some time. And, right. Uh, when he was first signed, et cetera. But your preseason injury preview, what's the full release? Next week, right now, you have some piecemeal yeah, releases. Yeah, right, right before training camp. Uh, training camp on, opens on the 25th for veterans, so we're going to aim to have it out on the 24th, which is uh, next Monday. So we yeah. got got bits and pieces. We released some teams last week, and now we're doing the the fantasy components, which is a, a good segue. I wanted to, to ask you about one of them. Um, uh-huh. Our four players to avoid, some are pretty straightforward, Brees Hall, Javante Williams, we've talked about on the podcast before. Uh, Kyle Pitts is kind of an interesting one just because we're waiting to evaluate fully what what the extent of his knee injury was because um, the video was pretty uh, pretty discouraging when we saw it first, and then the, the team tried to say it was just a torn MCL, which usually don't require surgery. But a uh, healthy player coming in this year that we're not too high on because of the quarterback throwing to him is Cooper Cup. I mean, Cooper Cup's being drafted as the, the wide receiver three. He's usually going mid to late first round for most drafts, but why why are we avoiding him at his ADP? Well, well, well Kyle Pitts is like, our suspicion is it's more than an MCL. Right. And uh, the length of time and the need for surgery. And if it's more than an MCL, whether it involves the ACL or the PCL, it was, we knew that video did not look good. And if that's the case, it's a multi-ligament. That's why we're down on Kyle Pitts. You know, we talked about Reese Hall in previous weeks, not loving him, certainly early season. Javante Williams, with multi-ligament. Cooper Cup, I'm not worried about his ankle. I think he's healthy. Obviously, he recovered well from his ACL a few years ago. To me, it's about the health of Matt Stafford and their offensive line and how that translates to Cooper Cup. Matt Stafford is the worry with his spinal cord contusion last year. No surgery, so there's risk of a contusion again I'm not saying Matt Stafford will be paralyzed if he takes another hit. I'm not saying that. The Rams wouldn't do that to him. And his wife wouldn't let that happen, right? I right. mean, she's all about protecting him. But if he gets another spinal cord contusion, he's done for the season and then maybe career. Then what happens to Cooper Cup and his numbers and, and the offensive line? And the it's surprising things. to see Rams make a late playoff push, too, given their, their situation. So, 
yeah, so that's why I think be careful on Cooper Cup. Uh, Stetson Bennett, uh, who is the other quarterback right. on the roster? I don't know. That's what would potentially hurt. Maybe Cooper John Wolford still, if he's still there. Maybe. I, I don't even yeah. know if he's there. I, I, don't, I don't know. But that's where uh, we have our doubts in, in, uh, in, and I'm not wishing Matt Stafford ill will. Right. And Matt Stafford has been as tough as they come. He's been Philip Rivers-esque in his playing through everything. So I'm not questioning that, but I don't think you can risk a spinal cord contusion. I don't think you can play through that and risk permanent damage with that. So it's not a question of his toughness. It's a question of what's medically proper, expedient, and right to do to a guy. And I just don't see him playing through that if it were to happen. Is it possible he could avoid it? Maybe. We hope so. But we'll, we've also talked a lot about their offensive line and the Rams and some of the injury right. issues there. That's sort of the deal. Well, we'll get to baseball in a second, but I wanted to ask you, since you brought up Phil Rivers, uh, we could have had a breaking exclusive news <laughs> about Philip on the podcast probably two months ago, three months ago, when you told us that they were uh, going to have their 10th kid and then all of a sudden it blows up on social media last week <laughs> that that they officially announced that they're having their 10th kid, so... So I saw Philip and Tiffany, uh, I don't know if it was two months ago, month, six weeks, maybe two months, I, I forget. And uh, they said they were expecting number 10. I was like, oh, congratulations. Talking about toughness. <laughs> you got to understand, we'll get, get into that. And, and I'm surprised. So at at the social media, I guess it's social media, I should get used to it. grief that he's getting. <laughs> oh, my gosh, and 10 kids and nothing. Let me tell you something. So first of all, I, I made fun of Philip a little bit too. He drives his family car is a Sprinter van, <laughs> and it fits twelve people. Yeah. So I joked with him previously. You got room for one more, you know. And so right. he said, he's having his tenth, and I said, oh, you guys are done. The Sprinter van's full, and he goes, not really. He goes, the older kids drive themselves. If we, I said, we go out to a family dinner. You got to fill it up and fill up the minivan or the sprinter van and you can't have any friends right because there's no room and he goes actually there's plenty of room because the the older kids are old enough where they drive themselves and or their friends (laughs) and so i'm not going to be surprised if there's not number 11 Uh, forget number 10 uh you that's the breaking news but you're right so one of the monikers that we say about sports injury central is we're all about insider knowledge not insider information we're about injury analysis not injury reporting this was a casual conversation with a friend i'm not trying to break news and i'm not gonna say first of all i think i'm sensitive enough to know that when people tell you about being pregnant there's there's a rollout yeah. They tell their family and then they tell their, their kids and their parents and their, their close friends. And then it expands just because, you know, you want to make sure everything's all good and whatever. And I don't know when he was ready for public knowledge with that. So I didn't think he was like, and we're not trying to be news breakers. We're analysis breakers, insider knowledge, but not insider information. And I wasn't going to ask him, hey, can I tweet that? And can I like, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, it's, that's how you stop getting told stuff. <laughs> Yeah, it's not even getting told stuff, yeah, it's just, just being 
a yeah, friend. Right. I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, don't air that out. And casual conversation is not casual conversation yeah, for is social is, media consumption, all that. No, I, that's the way I look at it. And we're not newsbreakers anyways. It's not, oh, okay. So you broke the news on, first of all, I don't know that we'd ever even get quoted for breaking the news. Right. <laughs> It'd be the source would confirm it somewhere else and then report. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, on, on its own, but no, that's why I don't feel bad about that. I, I, we're not trying to break, uh, break news in, in, uh, in that way. But the other thing I'd say about Philip rivers that people understand about the 10 kids is, a good number of them are homeschooled. Wow. At least they were when they lived in San Diego. Yeah. I don't know the current situation down in Panhandle of Florida. Well, you got the older kids teaching the younger kids now. A little bit. And and part of it um, is I remember like on a weekend or a Saturday, there'd be rehab and here comes Philip Rivers. I remember very distinctly, even early in his career, like he'd bring in like three of his girls ducks in a row they're like you know marching <laughs> single file quiet well behaved yeah sat in the court you know very well behaved one took care of the other but very well behaved but also i remember many a times that billet rivers now i've got i'm a girl dad right i got the 10 and the six now and whatever but the uh times when he'd wear flip-flops and he'd be kind of like fidgety and what are you doing he goes, well, I'm just trying to hide my toenail polish that the girls put on me, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I get you. But my point is, when you all asked me before and we talked on the podcast, and then it came up again that Philip Rivers was willing to play this year. That's what I told you. He's all about football and family, okay? Football and family, not NFL, and right. family football and family dad was a coach he's got his football fix coaching the high school he loves it yeah. right family i think family is the reason he's not playing it yeah of course he wants to chase a ring who right. why wouldn't he that's the one thing he's missing but the issue was when he went to indy he brought the whole family Look, the reason he didn't move from San Diego when the Chargers went to L.A. is the kids, their friends. That's a lot of phone calls to schools. Whatever schools and whatever, yeah. right? And just uprooting them. So he figured it was easier for him to get a driver, watch film in the back of the customized Sprinter van, right? go with his quarterback buddy up and back and and have someone to talk to and study film with up and back and not uproot his family. Well, when he went to Indy, I wasn't sure if he was going to leave his family in San Diego or move to his ultimate home in Panhandle, Florida. He's from Alabama. And yeah, he moved out of San Diego then when he left the L.A. Chargers. But the family essentially came with him to Indy. And that's hard, right? So you're coming yeah. in July, August, and then come January, you're you're out again. And weather and whatever... And I think that's actually why he retired. I think he still had gas left, but like, what's he doing to his family? Yeah, it's all the stress it's putting on him, the yeah. schedule and all that. So, yeah. yeah. And so that's why. And that's why I said, I think Philip Rivers, maybe even this year, uh, 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 I was going to throw him under the bus. Should I throw him under the bus? Yeah. Uh, why okay. not? <laughs> yeah, people see him around. So, yeah. whatever. When I saw him, uh, 
the the joke among the boys was philip you know you're you, you put on some sympathy weight <laughs> <laughs> with tiffany <laughs> and and the joke among the boys was philip you're, you're showing more than tiffany is right now <laughs> But that's just boys being boys, um, right? I'm sure there's plenty of opportunity with the kids' snacks in the house and, yeah, not finishing meals. Oh, I'll take that. So uh, it, I can see how that happened. <laughs> Philip, you're still my guy. I'm sorry. <laughs> threw you under the bus there. And he was a little sensitive about yeah. it. But and anyways, not that he couldn't get in shape. But, right. But he's not playing a 17-game NFL yeah, season. That's not his goal. But let me tell you, when his high school season is done and it's December – late November, December, and there's a key injury in a system that he knows and weapons around him, and that team is playoff bound and going somewhere, I still could see it. That's the formula. He's not trying to sign up with a team now, I don't believe. And before people go reporting this as fact, it's not fact. It's my analysis of the situation, knowing him. It, he's not telling me that, nor did I even ask him, right. what's your goal of playing or or this, that, the other. It's just deeper dive, just knowing a guy and, and, and how he's built. So I, I think the rumors can come back again this year, but it's got to be the right circumstance, right? And it's got to be December, right? It's not going to be September, et cetera. Let's touch on baseball real quick. We got uh, insights up at the website. We're tracking all the the daily injuries. I know Tatis turned an ankle, but he should be fine. He pinched hit last night, so expecting to see him back in the lineup soon. Um, one key Astro that's been in and out of the lineup for the thumb, and then now he's got an oblique strain that he had on uh, in batting practice on July fourth. He's on the ten day IL. Jose Altuve. Uh, Astros are always our favorite because they're so uh, tongue in cheek with their injury information, but I thought it was funny that Dusty Baker said, oh, he's healing faster than we expected, but he's not going to come off at the minimum 10 days. <laughs> and then I saw a note that he he ran the bases yesterday, so take with that what you will, but that shouldn't be an issue with the oblique. <laughs> yeah, running the bases is not that yeah. hard. It's turning, right, right. to hit or a Once pitcher. Once he's hitting, then, that, then or, we'll have a real timeline. Or so. a pitcher, oblique's a big deal. A hitter, uh, oblique's a big deal. But, I mean, we're not trying to make fun of the Astros. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is, but but I guess you could argue if you were trying to be facetious that I think both his injuries were the same, uh, Tuve, weren't they? It was a thumb and oblique. So isn't that upper body, upper body? Yeah. I mean, it's the same injury. <laughs> but the, the the Astros like to do NHL reporting. Right. Uh, you know, upper body, upper body. But no, I I don't know the extent, but yeah, it doesn't surprise me. It's Look, it's longer than 10, but short of 60 especially since it seems to have been an aggravation. And uh, the other big one is Aaron Judge is still nowhere to be found. And yeah. I think we were early on record saying it'd be to the all-star break, after the all-star break, at least. Yeah, I think what we're looking at now is the, the trade deadline, which is August 1st. So see if he can make it back before then, see what the team does before then to try to try to bolster the lineup around him. But yeah. That's above my pay grade. But at this point, it seems like... Uh, an August return right. for Judge. And, and once again, why can't he just DH? Because it's his back foot and the turf toe, the way that you get up on the ball of your foot, rotating the back foot, that is the the deal. And uh, by the way, Davis's all-star baseball season finally ended at Super Regional, so I can start with my baseball yeah. 
knowledge coaching <laughs> when does the next season start another month or so <laughs> oh he's mad at me <laughs> he wants to keep doing some lessons and then there's fall ball yep. and i told him no and he's mad at me i said look you need a break yeah just a mental break of this break he's right. been pushing through hard because you know he's actually pushed hard for a while when we do pony so from pinto to mustang he was really excited about it. So pitching, first time pitching, yeah. took lessons. He kind of went close to year round. And Mustang year one to Mustang year two, he kind of pushed through basically with fall ball and year round. I'm like, no, no, you need to take a break. I said, we'll talk about fall ball, but at least one month. And he actually just starts today for junior lifeguard. And you've ever been in oh, the West Coast? I mean, that's a brutal one-month program. Yeah. It's tiring. He's going to be wiped out anyways, but look for me to tell parents you know switch sports and let's not be so sports specific um now davis argue he went from being shortstop to being an outfielder because in all stars you have nine shortstops so yeah. someone's got to play the <laughs> other positions so he actually learned to be a pretty good little outfielder but uh uh no and uh he's saying well i haven't pitched a lot recently well okay but just take a month break yeah and, uh, refresh and guess what? You'll miss it more. I mean, uh, kind of thing. He's driving it. No, that's good. You don't want him. You don't want him being like, Oh, another practice. Cause oh, yeah. Yeah. And in case, and in case anyone asks, uh, yeah, Taylor's on the IL, I guess. Is it 10 day <laughs> or 60 day? I would, I, he's always 10 day. He'll always say 10 day. <laughs> he'll always say he doesn't need an IL. So, but Fair he'll be back next week. We'll have a full breakdown of your Scott fish draft. I think we've only progressed a couple of rounds since uh, we talked last week. Yeah, I just looked. I like Mike Will Williams just missed, so just people know. Well, uh, pick nine point three. We I took Kadarius Tony to prove that we don't believe in injury prone. Right. I, I mean, a lot of people expect him to pull a hamstring just getting off the couch. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that doesn't follow him to uh, Kansas City from uh, from New York Giants because I know that that sapped a lot of his value. I think my draft strategy changed a little bit this year. And I'll credit Adam Azer, our CBS Fantasy Football guest last week's podcast. I've done pretty well, luckily, beginner's luck in Scott Fishbowl, uh, in making the playoffs. Three for three. Right. Now that I said that, it's going to be a miss. <laughs> Not always, yeah. But I really haven't won in the playoffs other than the winning the division by week. You know, I really haven't won in the playoffs. And I don't know how to fantasy draft, but I think I was just drafting for, I guess, in my mind, making the playoffs. Uh, now I'm trying to break the mold and not be the Marty Schottenheimer of, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to win a playoff game. So yeah. Tony's one of those, I think, yeah. could be higher ceiling guys. Might be a lower floor. But <laughs> as, long, as long as he's healthy weeks 14 through 17, right? That's... Uh... Well, I, I need him to have a good season too, because yeah. <laughs> he's starting right now, <laughs> and uh, to 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 get to the playoffs. So I, I do think I've drafted a little bit differently this year, uh, looking at some higher upside guys. Yeah, uh, like even Deshaun Watson, we talked about. That's higher upside and maybe lower floor than some. But anyways, we'll talk about all of that. No, so I've I've had fun experimenting with the best ball style draft that underdog does because you can take a flyer on guys like that and oh if Tony doesn't work out then someone else will slot in to that lineup that week or whatever it is. So you don't have to don't have to get burned by your lineup decisions too much. Yeah. And uh I've been playing with underdog and and the sleeper stuff and 
you guys should go and sign up code SIC, Sports Injury Central SIC, and get the $100 match, et cetera. You guys have put out some good content. And every time there's like a, I don't know if it's a free pick or reduced. Yeah, it's like a promo. A promo pick Mm -hmm. where instead of the seven and a half strikeouts, it's at 0.5 or 2.5 strikeouts or something. You all decide been like 50% on those prop parlays (laughs) because you get that free one, then you pick two more one two or three more and you get some really pretty good value that's been uh that's been good when i've tailed those uh with you guys and it's actually kind of fun i'm getting ready for uh nfl season where the prop uh picks and parlays will be yeah. all over the place and uh that'll be fun so check that out on the site as well as the preseason energy preview coming thanks to joe thomas again for the hall of famer on on his way into canton spending some time with us there and i think you can tell i don't think i'm on the list to go (laughs) (laughs) i wouldn't hold your breath too much (laughs) no uh been there done that fun (laughs) times if you guys haven't gone i think it's kind of a cool deal uh but yeah no (laughs) no hall of fame for me all right uh thanks for watching and listening Uh, tell a friend and uh give us a nice little five-star rating if you can Uh, we appreciate you guys